So when my MRI came back saying that everything was fine, crazy as it sounds, I was disappointed because if you're telling me this is just a migraine, that there isn't much I can do about it. If it was a brain tumor, then maybe you can cut that out and I'll, I'll be better. That was Jamie Sanders. She's a mom to three wonderful kids. Jamie also happens to live with chronic migraine disease, fibromyalgia, depression, and anxiety. She blogs and advocates under the title, The Migraine Diva, and she's our guest on today's AFPA Patient Access Podcast. I'm Mike Walsh. Jamie, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Well, let's jump right in here because we've got a lot of questions for you. On your blog, you've written extensively about how migraine disease is a thief. Could you share with us how you came up with that interesting analogy? What would you say migraine has taken from you? Certainly. Well, living with migraine, um, one starts to realize that there is a great deal of loss. Special occasions, time, your goals or careers, your education. Migraine steals these things when days, weeks, months, or years are spent with disabling pain and symptoms. So that's where I came up with migraine being a thief because it does take away a lot of important moments and ideas and goals and dreams that we have for ourselves. Personally, migraine has taken away my ideal of motherhood. During my children's formative years, I was too sick to do most of anything, and it was normal for them to see mommy in bed for days or in the ER or hospitalized because I've had a severe intractable migraine, and I never wanted that for them. And migraine has also stolen my identity for a number of years. I didn't know who I was outside of having migraine, and that made me feel very alone, sad, and invisible. I can imagine. Very isolating and challenging. It's like a thief that doesn't go away, right? Exactly. You had your first migraine at eight years old, if I'm not mistaken, and have experienced up to 20 per month, I understand, uh, at some points of your life. What's changed over the course of your condition as far as your diagnostic journey and disease state? I had my first classic migraine around the age of eight in the third grade. And because Migraine runs on my mother's side of the family, and she grew up having migraine. She knew it wasn't a typical headache. So when I was brought in to see my pediatrician, because it was well documented that migraine does run on my mother's side, I was diagnosed fairly quickly, which is rare for children with migraine. So because of her diligence and her knowledge of migraine, I was able to get properly diagnosed. So I remained episodic, though, throughout my school years into my early 20s. But it wasn't until my last pregnancy when I was 23, during the first trimester, I had an intractable migraine for those three months. And I had never experienced migraine on that level. And I thought it was something serious, like a brain tumor. So when my MRI came back saying that everything was fine, crazy as it sounds, I was disappointed. Because if you're telling me this is just a migraine, then there isn't much I can do about it. If it was a brain tumor, then maybe you can cut that out and I'll, I'll be better. But because of that intractable migraine, my journey then started into becoming chronic. My migraine would become more severe, more frequent, and it just slowly progressed every year. 
And so today, um, I'm still chronic. I'm intractable. So I, I basically have pain every single day. It's not always severely painful, but I still have more than 15 headache days per month. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about what you found most helpful uh, in coping with chronic debilitating migraine disease. Sure. Learning to not do it all has been a major piece in coping with migraine. As a woman and as a mother, I would push myself through all my pain because I felt like I had to present myself and do things that I thought a normal woman who was a wife and a mother would be able to do. So a lot of times I ran myself down trying to be the type of mother and wife that I thought I should be. But learning to let go of that ideal was very important to my health overall, not just physically, but mentally as well. And also being okay with not being okay was a big lesson for me. And that was a lesson that my husband taught me. I would always be upset if I couldn't get out of bed and make dinner or take my daughter to a Girl Scout troop meeting or run an errand. And he would always say to me, it's okay. I got this. It's all right. Nobody's upset. Nobody's thinking you're less than a mother or a wife. You're fine. But I never really let that sink in. And one day it clicked. Well, if my husband's telling me that nobody's seeing me as less than a wife or a mother, then I need to see myself that way as well. And that was an important lesson for me. And it let me let go of a lot of that guilt I was holding on to for not being the perfect mom or wife that I thought I was supposed to be. Uh, and so those lessons were really, really, really huge. I'm still going through the motions when it comes to finding the right medication or combination of medications that will lower the frequency and severity of my migraine. So for now, I rely most on my migraine tools, which help me out very much, which are migraine precision tinted glasses, earplugs, ice packs, muscle rubs, using... Um, essential oils, meditation, relaxation, deep breathing, all of those tools really help me get myself in a better state of mind and get my body in a better place and not always have to rely on my medication and only try to use that when it's really necessary. So my migraine tools really do help me manage and cope with migraine a lot. So let's talk a little bit more about the medications because we know there have been a, a lot of innovations as of late. Um, but we also know that breakthrough treatments bring a great deal of hope for patients, caregivers, and providers, but they also trigger uh, fears in patients, right? Um, I've heard a lot about, you know, the, the innovation is only as good as, you know, your ability to have it at your disposal. Talk a little bit about um, the fears and anxieties that come with innovative treatments for migraine patients. Absolutely. Um, but the current introduction of CGRP blockers for the prevention of migraine this past summer, there has been a lot of optimism, a lot of hope, but also a lot of fear around these new medications. Some of those fears are, will it work for me? We're excited that this is available. We have this option to us, but what if it doesn't help me and I'm still in the same place I was before? That's a real tangible fear for people. But also, there is anxiety about whether this new medication will be available for everyone 
to get? What if the insurance doesn't cover it? Jamie, I wondered if you might describe some of the specific policies that insurance companies can use to restrict access for patients like you. Well, there are several policies that insurance companies use that limit or prohibit access to medications. One is step therapy or fail first, where insurance companies require that the cheaper drug is prescribed first rather than the medicine originally prescribed by the doctor. There's prior authorization where a physician is required to obtain approval from the insurance company to prescribe a specific medication. And there's also non-medical switching. That involves insurance companies um, that regularly review and change their formularies and policies regarding specialty medication coverage. When they do make changes with their prescription drug coverage, insurance companies notify patients that they may need to switch to a less expensive medication to avoid an increase in out-of-pocket costs. But switching to that less expensive medication may mean that this new medication is not going to work as effectively as the one they were currently on. Wow, you really described those restrictive insurance policies very well, Jamie. What are some of the other barriers that you find migraine disease patients like you may face? Other barriers include a lack of specialists, long wait lists to see a specialist, or a di there's distance required sometimes to travel to see a specialist, which is impossible for most due to the cost burden of traveling to another state or another town or another city. It's just not feasible for someone who's chronically ill to travel long distances to see a specialist. I can, I can understand that. That's an interesting consideration. So tell me if you could, uh, how this impacts the course of their disease. It sounds like each of those access or policy barriers that you spoke of, um, a patient with migraine or chronic pain is going to be impact is going to be affected by at one time or another, unfortunately, probably all too often. Um, how does that, you know, impact their overall condition? You just alluded to the fact that, you know, a cheaper medication with less efficacy might have to be exhausted prior to a more effective product. I can't imagine that's terribly um, good for their chronic condition. No, it's not at all. A lot of people with migraine and other chronic pain conditions have other comorbidities. So, they may be on other medications that may be contraindicated with what the insurance company is saying they need to be on instead of what the doctor prescribed for them. Or if a patient had recently switched um, health insurance companies and they already went through a step therapy fail first program with their old insurance company and they're required to do it again and have already failed on those medications, there's no way to bring that information over. So sometimes they're required to retake medications that they've already filled on in the past. And doing this, somebody who's on a medication that is not effective for them continues to just get more sick. Sometimes they develop new conditions because of the side effects that occur with these medications. And it's just not healthy or fair to the patient to put them through this long process. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for, for sharing this perspective. It's incredibly valuable, I think, to use this platform to amplify all the great things that you do 
raise awareness for you know the conditions that you're impacted by and drive advocacy around. Um, thank you so much from from all of us in the patient advocacy world for for your powerful voice on this. I'd like to end with a with a lightning round here. We typically end our podcasts with a quick lightning round, so I'm going to give you 20 seconds. Uh, one sentence to answer each of the following questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I heard I heard through the grapevine that you like to cook. What's the one kitchen, kitchen gadget or tool that you can't live without? That would be my Dutch oven that I inherited from my Jamaican grandmother. Wow. Sounds like a collector's item. What would you like to tell patients uh, who aren't sure that they can be advocates themselves? You are already an advocate just because you live with a chronic pain condition. You advocate for yourself every day when you decide to get up and do something positive. And just as a follow-up to that, what would you say the best first step for them to become involved is? A best first step for patients would be to visit websites like CHAMP, the Coalition for Headache and Migraine Patients at HeadacheMigraine.org and Global Healthy Living Foundation at GHLF.org and sign up for their 50-state network as well to learn how to become a patient advocate. Excellent resources. Thank you for that direction. Are you planning any New Year's resolutions for the incoming year? Only to remain positive and keep putting myself first. Well, it sounds like you're setting a great example. Good for you. Finally, what's the best place that your advocacy efforts have brought you, literally or figuratively? It has brought me to a place where I have a community of fellow advocates and migraine warriors that I call family, and I am truly grateful to be among such inspiring people regularly, which help me do more and be better at being a patient advocate. That's so well said. Jamie, it's truly been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your leadership. Thank you so much, Mike, and same to you. 